This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1888, a brutal killer stalked the streets of London, England. Despite the infamy of the crimes, he was never captured and his identity remains unknown. Today, we discuss who is perhaps the most notorious murderer of all time, Jack the Ripper. This is Red Web. Welcome back to Red Web. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, is Alfredo Diaz. Fredo, we're covering uh, quintessential, the classic, Jack the Ripper. How much do you know about this topic? I mean, I just know that he was a a very efficient killer, um, Mm -hmm. unfortunate for the victims, um, and that he did a lot of it. Oh, yeah. His story is so famous that is bled into so many different types of forms of media tv shows movies uh games the whole nine yards everything you could possibly think of like there has been some mention or something of jack the ripper is very famous very well known but i'm assuming like myself most people won't know the intricate details of the story 100 percent. i feel like everyone has heard of jack the ripper in some way i mean this guy was milked as much as any murderer could be milked for cash (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah i mean very infamous what's going on why do you say milk i mean i mean mean, even before and then he took so long to get to cash so i'm just sitting here with the picture of people milking jack the ripper and then you and then you added the sound bite. Yeah. I listen, when you, you milk something for money, you don't you don't um harvest. Uh you you don't pluck. Yeah, you don't pluck for money. I listen, it's I don't pick the way we speak, my friend. I, I just, just use the words in a questionable way, you know? Why would you put it like that? <laughs> you know, just a little bit of the uh, Jack the Ripper moo moo juice. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of moo-moo juice uh, straight from the killer. As always, you know, when we talk about these true crime episodes, I just want to say here at the top of the episode, for those of you who might be sensitive to the nature of gruesome crimes, this is one such episode. So, you know, I just want to give you fair heads up. We're not going to go into the needless detail of some of the gruesome nature unless it uh, uh, helps with the situation, unless it helps us develop an MO, unless it helps us figure out who they are. But yeah, I just wanted to give that a little notice here at the top. Another thing in particular about Jack the Ripper that I wanted to mention, you know, this happened, like I mentioned, in the late 1800s. Yep. So uh, a lot of the information surrounding this case can be a bit conflicting. So what we did here was we did our best Mm. to organize all the information at our disposal to make sure that this is as clear to follow as possible. As always, we're going to have some mistakes potentially. We don't know what we don't know. And for this podcast, we go as deep as we can when going into a different case every week. Uh, you know, I'm, I wish yeah. we had the time to really, really dive in and know every single thing. But we just, we just, we just do, we dip our toes in, you know what I mean? We're toe dippers. And, and this is, I think, I think Red Web has become a fantastic place for people to just like figure out the different mysteries yeah, uh, and, and, and things that they can get into and then, and venture out to, to dive in, into it in greater detail. Right. 
I would assume that this is very, very difficult to really pin down and know the information of because it was so long ago, right? Yeah. Nowadays, you know, stuff like the internet mysteries and everything like that, that stuff could be tracked a lot more easily. Right. It's hard to scrub things out of the internet. But back then, you burn a piece of paper. That's the only piece of paper it was written on. It's gone. You, you know? know, the milk can spoil. Yeah. And people's stories just vanish over time. And you still, you brought it back. You did. <laughs> and you know what? I glossed over it. And then you started. <laughs> hey, you we're, started gonna, we're here to pasteurize <laughs> the, the narrative. Okay. We're going to connect as many dots as possible. You know, I, I have to pride myself a little bit and, and, and Christian and Jillian on really reaching into some of the details that you don't typically see for. So we, we try to be as as deep as we can be given the time constraints we have on a weekly basis. But yeah, you know, this is a starting point, a leaping off platform for those mystery enthusiasts like ourselves out there who just mm-hmm. want to get a quick download on what's going on. All right. So give me that. Give me that sweet download. What's, yeah. What's the deets? Because this is probably the most famous killer. Oh, yeah. I, I would covered? say so like, for sure. Yeah. Famous or infamous, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I almost forgot looking at the calendar. Fredo. One year, happy one year anniversary of the show. Wait, what? You lying to me? No, it's well. Tomorrow is the 365 day after Lake City Quiet Pills came out. You know what I mean? That was the that first was a episode. year ago. It was a whole year ago. Okay, this is gonna. We're growing up. This this might not be a question I should be asking. How uh-huh. many episodes in are we? Are we like forty something episodes in or something? We're like forty that? something something episodes. In. Christian, you can hear us <laughs> with your ears. We're forty something something in, right? Forty eight. Forty eight episodes. Hey! Oh! Hit the one Nick, year and we're almost at fifty. Nick, pop the confetti in the celebratory sounds. Yeah, that are, yeah royalty free celebration, everyone. I can't, but wow, people have really been listening to to this show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, we're just sitting here to, uh, to scratching the surface of all these mysteries, yeah. and, and, and I don't mess with none of these things. Mm-hmm. I want to stand as far away as possible, um, and people find that entertaining. So it's just the coolest feeling in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I like to bring you to the event horizon of the mystery and get you as dangerously close as you'll allow me to get you, which is pretty much just telling you the story, showing you yeah. some pictures. And, uh, and you guys have been really resonating with it. And I really do appreciate that. We've got a really exciting one today here. Jack the Ripper, obviously. Um, we're recording this little celebration after the fact. So I got a little bit of foresight going on here, but uh, it's a wonderful episode, a little longer than usual. A lot mm-hmm. of details to dive into. And so with that, uh, take it away past me and past Alfredo. Oh, yeah. All right, well, sit down, grab yourself uh, your red web mug, fill it up to the tippy top of, uh, of the glass with uh, some moo mm-hmm. juice, and let's oh, slide on in <laughs> to the timeline of the crime here. And as always, we're going to break this down into kind of the ongoings of the crime as best as we have it here, and then the unfoldings of the investigation throughout that time period and finalize with the theories, or in this case, the suspects that best fit the narrative, the characterization of this mysterious Jack the Ripper. So the crimes took place in the Whitechapel district of London, England, which was an area pretty well known for its extreme poverty and prevalent crime. And due to that poverty, many residents actually turned to sex work in order to make a living. And while crime and murder in this area appeared very common, or relatively common compared to a normal 
everyday town, the extremely disturbing ways with which the Ripper killed his victims and then wrote letters afterward taunting the authorities were not common. And that is why Jack the Ripper became so notorious out of an otherwise mm. poverty-stricken and crime-struck town or district. Another one of those type of killers. Right. There, I mean, there's. this is a, a, a quintessential classification of a serial killer right now. We've covered a lot of people, Zodiac, Jack the Ripper now. Uh, a lot of people just be writing letters saying, hey, I did this, I'm flaunting it, good luck getting me. Yeah, try and catch me if you can. Right, and one of the interesting things, like I, I've listened to a lot of media and content of many forms regarding Jack the Ripper, but we're gonna dive into those letters, which is something I'd never really heard about, or rather heard from. I've never heard them written out or read them myself or whatever, but we're gonna cover those. And uh, I think they help really build the characterization of this person and really develop a, a psychological profile for Jack the Ripper. But when it comes to the murders themselves, there are five murders that were considered confirmed to be Jack the Ripper, and these five murders were nicknamed the Canonical Five. In addition to these five, there are six other murders that we're going to lightly touch on later that also fall within this rough time period that could be connected to Jack the Ripper, but aren't confirmed or at least as far as the investigation is concerned, are not confirmed to be a part of whoever this Jack the Ripper guy and his activities. But all of these combined are referred to as the Whitechapel murders. That might be something you've heard of before. And what's of note here with these canonical five, before we dive into this timeline, is that all of five of these canonical five victims were actually sex workers. And so we're already oh. figuring out a profile for this person a little bit. Yeah, he has a particular taste of what type of victim he's going for mm -hmm. here. And I would think that the reason why he's going after sex workers is because they're more open to interacting with a stranger. Right. So, I mean, just through that, right? It's just like, they're more open to interacting with a stranger and interacting with a stranger in any place as opposed to, you know, having any place, to go any to a, time. a pub or a bar to pick someone up. And right. Then it's like the whole process. Very astute observation. I think you're going to be proven correct as we start outlining some of these circumstances. There's a lot of similar pieces of evidence, as it were. But let's go back to August 31st of 1888. This is the first victim named Mary Ann Nichols. She was found on a dark street on Bucks Row around 3.40 a.m. Police found Nichols' throat had been cut twice and there were also many incisions across Nichols' body, and her abdomen was cut open. The doctor who gave the autopsy on this body claimed that the murder and following mutilations would only have taken about five minutes to do, and given the nature of the circumstances, it appears that she had been killed only about 30 minutes prior to having been found. So when she was found, whoever this Jack the Ripper guy is must have been in the immediate area. But however, despite the fact that she died so quickly prior to being found, no one in the area seemed to be able to provide the police with any leads. So coming out of that, we have no leads. The police are looking now. But at this point in time, you know, this is a crime ridden area. And so it doesn't really stand out as such. But now, a few days later on September 8th, we have Annie Chapman, who was found at 6 a.m. in the doorway of an apartment on Hanbury Street by one of the residents who lived there. Unlike Nichols, though, 
We do not know how long Chapman was dead, but just like Nichols, we see that this body had two deep cuts across the neck, very similar to Nichols, like I said, which mm -hmm. led investigators to believe that these murders might be connected. And so they're starting to connect the dots right away and say, all right, maybe uh, yeah. maybe this is the same person here. But in addition to that, her body had been disemboweled and it was found that part of Chapman's uterus was actually removed. Oh, God. So it seems like there's a lot of violence towards females at this juncture that we can identify. And I think that that trend will only continue from here. Oh, man. Um, I, 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 I mean, I'm sure we're going to get there, but I'm very interested to see how long until the third kill. Mm hmm. You know, if if uh, Jack the Ripper is just kind of going, all right, let me rapid fire these out um, before they start catching on. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. It's not too long after this, but a few things of important note happened prior to the third kill. So we are here now at September 8th. This is when the second kill goes down. Now on September 10th of 1888, the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee formed on this date because of their dissatisfaction with the police force. They were hoping that they could help the police solve the crimes by getting out there on their own. You know, they started offering a reward because the police were not offering one. And they're like, listen, we, we got to get to the bottom of this. This is clearly a, a pattern is emerging here. And these are quite gruesome. So they were offering 50 pounds sterling, which would be today in today's money, roughly 6,600 pounds or in United States dollars, somewhere close to $9,300. So a not insubstantial reward yeah. for a for a freshly formed committee. So as I mentioned, the police would not offer a reward on this information. And I almost want to say that there was some sort of animosity towards this committee forming and this this dissatisfaction, this lack of trust in the police force and the need for the committee to form, I feel like is one of those key forks in the road that go to only muddy the waters. They, they, they yeah. I feel like every time there is a situation or an unknown case like this that we look at, there's always one key happenstance that when it happens, I feel it doesn't help the case at all. And in this mm -hmm. case, uh, if the police aren't also offering a reward, if they're not following through with this case in a proper manner to the point where people feel like they have to create a committee and then this animosity forms, there might also be this, we have this information, but we're going to hold it close to our chest because we want to solve and yeah. that lack of communication, I like feel we like, we want to prove that we're help. better. And so exactly. you have, yeah, you have two camps with possible important information that could, instead of working together to solve this case faster, there's just egos involved. Right. And I oh, feel like that God. obviously doesn't go to help the case, that but is... it, it might actually just hurt an otherwise already difficult case to solve. I, I can't imagine it. Like, yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine it helping the case. You know what I mean? Unless we take some weird turn that like Jack the Ripper had it, you know, had someone on the inside, then it's just like, oh, okay, then maybe, yeah, keep it in each camp. But I don't, I don't think we'll, that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I also want to say I'm, I'm kind of extrapolating from my understanding here. They very well could have worked together in a deeper way that I'm not privy to, but, but yeah, I, I just uh, like, it stood uh, out to me because there's always some needless distraction from, yep the crime at hand and i feel yeah. like this might be one of those here Instead of everyone joining hands and working together as right humans being humans but we have the first letter coming through here now uh or or just uh, not too long after this time period 
The first letter sent by the Ripper was called Dear Boss because of the way it starts, and it was sent to the Central News Agency of London on September 27th, almost three weeks now after that second murder took place. At this point in time, there were hundreds of letters sent, and they all claimed to be from Jack the Ripper. Damn, already? Even back then, people were just like, I'm Jack the Ripper. Right. I mean, okay, I don't think there was a name for Jack the Ripper. We know right, now yeah. what the name is, but a lot of people were coming out writing letters saying, yeah, just like they did throughout the following decades and all the way up to today. It was me. I did it. It's just weird. Weird. It's very strange. Very strange indeed. But never understand that behavior. Yeah. Now, of these many hundreds of letters, it seems like three of them stand out to what? Okay. People that study Jack the Ripper are called Ripperologists, it seems. Okay. Now, to these experts in this topic, three stand out as being authentic because of a couple different reasons. The way they write, the way, the information that they have, and a lot of other extenuating factors, I think, that we'll continue to go into. The first of those authentic letters is Dear Boss, and that's the one I'm going to read here now. I'm going to read it as it's written. It's a bit of a struggle because there's uh, some questionable grammar throughout and some misspellings, mm -hmm. but like I said, I'll try to keep it as to the written word as it is. So it says, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about Leather Apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Now I have to imagine, like, I'm, I'm pausing for a second, that this is maybe uh, some slightly archaic vernacular happening here, and I'm sure some sort of English or otherwise nearby accent being affected. So yeah. it sounds strange to me. It's like I said, it's going to be difficult to read, but I digress. Back to the letter. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and I want to start again. You will soon hear me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue, and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the ladies' ears off and send them to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. And that ends the letter from Jack the Ripper. And it sounds like he even gave himself a name and kind of says, Hey, I hope you don't mind me naming myself. Yep. And this is henceforth why this person is known as Jack the Ripper. Interesting. And so we believe this to be jack like the you know jack the ripper it is believed that this is an authentic letter from jack the ripper and there are some clues in here right he's saying what he wants to do next that we want to keep an ear out for when we kind of outline the following victims but some of the details they give are specific to what happened and what might come to happen it's also interesting that uh, this person with their lack of proper spelling and some grammar mistakes here and there and the fact that they said, I saved some of the proper red stuff in a beer bottle, meaning as they were oh. bleeding out, they went off and captured some of the blood with the intent yeah. of writing a letter in the blood 
but by the time they wrote it, the blood had kind of coagulated. So mm. this, I don't know if this is common knowledge in the late 1800s, but it could show the level of understanding that this person has. And I think that that's important to remember because in this PS here, they're kind of laughing. They're saying, they being like the police are saying mm -hmm. I'm a doctor now. That's one of the theories out there. And they're laughing. They think that that's funny. So this person is perhaps playing their hand as, as to their understanding of the world or their intelligence level or maybe not it's hard to say really so so we think of this um, we think this because this person will send in more letters i'm assuming and yes and maybe show some i don't know like intimate details of the situation kind of so right now one of the things in here is he says the next job i shall do i'm going to cut the lady's ears off and i'm going to send it to you guys just for the sake of doing it, just for the fun. Yeah. So when they got this letter, they didn't necessarily just say, this is authentic right now, but some coming details and yeah. some, and the next letter will retroactively substantiate some of these claims, the handwriting, yada, yada. And so that, so as more details come out, this letter will start looking more and more authentic. Ooh. Yeah. But after the Dear Boss letter was reported in newspapers, the name Jack the Ripper caught on in Whitechapel and around the world. A few days later, three days in fact, on September 30th, Elizabeth Stride's body was found around 1 a.m. on a dark part of Burner Street. Her body was still warm and she was still bleeding from the stab wound in her throat, oh my which God. seemed to have been done hastily. Now, it is believed that Ripper was interrupted and Stride had only been dead for around 30 minutes. 45 minutes after Stride was found, the body of Catherine Eddowes was discovered in Whoa. Near Square. Yeah. So this is 45 minutes later, another body's found. So two murders in one night? In one night. And what's interesting, too, is that Meter Square was only a 12-minute walk from Burner Street where Stride's body was found. And so it is entirely possible, if not 100% possible, right, that this is the same person. 12 minutes to walk at a normal speed to the other location, and the other body was found 45 minutes later. The second body there of this night, Eddowes, or I should say maybe the fourth victim, uh, was also disemboweled, and her left kidney and uterus were both removed. What's interesting here is that part of her ear was cut off, leading investigators to believe that now that Dear Boss letter that we read through yep. was in fact authentic. So wait, the third killing was how much longer after the second one? Uh, after the second killing, it would have been 22 days. Okay. After the letter, okay. it was three days. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess like, so wait, that third killing, uh, was that in, all in the same night? There was yeah. So these, the third and fourth killing were on the same night. So we have September 30th, 1 a.m., body found on Burner Street. Yeah. 12 minute walk away. Right. The other also one. in time, 45 minutes later, we have another person found in Meter Square. So and same that, night. That was a person with the ears cut off. And the second person of that night was the person, yes, yeah. that had their wow. part of their ear cut off. Now, what's interesting is because that first job, if you will, that first murder of the night seemed to be done hastily. A lot of people say, okay, maybe they were interrupted. They weren't able to disembowel, cut the ear off, whatever the intent was. And so maybe that's why there was a second kill that night, because they wanted to make good on the yeah. letter that they had sent in. 
like, oh, crap, I didn't have time to get that ear. And I want to get that ear because that's what I said I was going to do. I want to prove myself. I want to yeah. flaunt this. I didn't even think about that angle. Mm-hmm. Because also, like, the second murder was... It just seemed like there's some... It was a lot more intimate. There was the ears. Yeah. There was the, um, the different parts of the body. But I, I think the crazy thing is to murder get interrupted then walk like 12 minutes away and then take your time with another murder right that is terrifying terrifying and and remember the uh, the uh the coroner uh forget the name of the position but the person who ran the autopsy from the first murder said whoever did this could have done it within five minutes two quick slashes on the throat and then the cut across the stomach and so that's why some people thought, hey, maybe this is a doctor. Maybe this is someone who knew what they were doing, knew where these organs were. Or perhaps it was somebody who was just very messy, very quick. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted to make sure that the person couldn't scream and that they would die quickly. And then went for the more intimate, gruesome details after, right, with the disemboweling. But right. it's very strange. And uh, what's of note here is that about a third of a mile from this second body of the night, a.k.a. the fourth victim of the canonical five again a third of a mile away a piece of Edo's bloodstained apron was found in a passageway so this kind of indicated oh, that this person yeah. was taking back ways and maybe knew the city pretty well indicated where they headed afterwards but of course it didn't lead to necessarily any more information beyond that yeah another piece of note that i wasn't aware of was that on the wall there was some graffiti with an anti-Semitic message that was found. Now, this message was unconfirmed if it was written by Jack the Ripper, but police erased the message regardless because it would likely cause unrest and they didn't want this to be attributed to the same thing. Yeah. Whatever. They took it down. They noted it. But I wanted to make sure we mentioned it here because I hadn't known about that and I didn't. I don't know if that is attributed to this same person or if it's... Yeah, it just could have been up there already. Right. I, I I doubt someone saw you know the body that wrote that message or something right. like that. Like that, that probably was there beforehand. Yeah, but now just a few days later on October first, we have a second letter titled "Saucy Jack." Now th it's not necessarily like this person is titling their letters. This is just what they're referred to by the Central News Agency who is getting these. And this is the day after. I should clarify. This is the day after the double murder. The letter had similar handwriting to the Dear Boss letter, which is why a lot of people think, okay, maybe this is in fact again another authentic letter. It read as follows. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow, double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Had not time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I mean, I'd put money that that is the killer. Yeah. And what's interesting here too, and the, and the reason why not only the handwriting, not only the same lack of punctuation and misspellings, not the fact that it was assigned the same person, but in addition to all that, the detailing of saying the double event murder, the, the detailing of saying I didn't have time for the first person, and the fact that they said they squealed, this is something they'll reference again. I think they cut the throat so that the person can't say anything or can't scream or call for help. The fact that they had these pieces of information and said, hey, I didn't have time to get the ears, but the second time, the second person I did, all of this information had yet to be published in newspapers. But I want to say that this information, this this kind of, the, the fact that this is in fact Jack the Ripper 
has been disputed, and I want to discuss why. Uh, because okay, all yeah. that sounds great. That sounds like, yes, that is definitely the person, but it's worth mentioning some of these things. The letter, this second letter, was postmarked 24 hours after the murders, and that does leave some room for witnesses to spread the information. Additionally, investigators have also theorized that journalists, who would have known about the information earlier because then they would publish about it, they could have been the ones who wrote the letter so that they could encourage some more newspaper sales. So mm. it's there's room in there for people to go, well, maybe, you know, maybe this was still a copycat. There's there's room. I could see that. It's still, I mean, that's a tight window. It is a very tight window. And I would be inclined, just based on the nature of, of everything going on here, that I would personally believe, especially kind of knowing other cases like this, that this person is flaunting and writing about it looking for attention for whatever reason. Yep. But like I said, totally possible that somebody else is is really playing with something dangerous. If they're just trying to, hey, let's let's fake some more letters and then we'll get some paper sales. That's pretty that's pretty dirty. That's I mean that's uh it's not far fetched <laughs> yeah. the media to just try and push the envelope in that direction for sales. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to flash forward two weeks to October 15th. The most famous letter came through here entitled From Hell. It was sent with a half of a human kidney to the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, or in fact, the chairman of that committee, George Lusk. Now, this one is even more messed up than the previous ones. Much harder to read, so bear with me. But this one reads, quote, From Hell, Mr. Lusk. Sore, S-O-R. I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, tother piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. So as I mentioned, I wanted to read it phonetically because there is some interesting spelling in here. Now, part of me thinks that whoever this is or whoever wrote this particular letter there is more mistakes happening and so that kind of stands out but it also seems like whoever's writing this is writing phonetically as in they're sounding things out in their accent and uh, i don't know what accent that would be but preserved was spelled with two a's so it was preserved. and then when it says uh, the other piece was put together t-o-t-h-e-r Tother piece, which almost sounds a bit Irish in a way. Tother piece. Wait was spelled W A T E. There's a lot of misspellings, and and they also mm -hmm. didn't sign it as Jack the Ripper. Yeah, weird. That's what I was gonna. I was like, what is his new name? Yeah, signed. Catch me if you can, Mister Lusk. But also spells Mister as Mister, which again, I I will have to look to you, the task force, uh, especially those in the UK area, if this is if this aligns with an accent that you're familiar with especially if it was like an 1800s accent that you would be more familiar with. But yeah, I, I uh, it's very interesting. Did he say that he ate? Yeah, he fried it and ate it. And he said it was very nice. Cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, off the deep end. Oh, yeah. Now, when it comes to this letter, despite the fact, like I said, that there is noticeably more mistakes, it wasn't signed Jack the Ripper. Uh, it still had similar handwriting to the other first two letters that were considered authentic, but this letter is considered by Ripperologists to be 
the most likely letter to be authentic. And the reason for that is because the other two letters were sent to news agencies, while this one was sent to the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, it seems, you know, that again, it leaves room oh, for those yeah. first two letters to be hoaxes of some kind by journalists to sell more newspapers, like I mentioned earlier. Again, I don't think uh, it entirely discredits those letters, No, but that's what makes this case so difficult is because there's just enough room to go, ah, you can't be 100% certain. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if later during the episode, you tell me that Jack the Ripper is really like trying to make sure that he takes credit and that it's him putting out the information that, you know, he wants to put out as opposed mm -hmm. to people. I don't know. I I feel like this would be narrowed down, right? Because usually with killer stuff like that, and I do believe at least some of this is actually Jack writing it. Yeah. Um, which he is, and he's like any other of these types of killers, he's gonna be wanting to take credit and be like, "Hey, this is the proof that I am like the real one." Yeah, we've we've definitely seen that where people almost get a little aggressive when they're saying, yep. "Hey, this is me. I need you to attribute this to me. Yeah. I need you to put my pseudonym." on a billboard but i'll be i'll be honest i'm gonna jump the gun here we don't have any other letters that we're going to discuss damn like i said these are the three letters that are most considered authentic there are hundreds of letters out there so yeah it's not that other letters didn't come through but but yeah let's talk about that kidney the kidney that was sent in with this letter was in fact determined to have come from someone who died within the past three weeks so it is very viable it's very possible that this came from Edo's especially considering when they looked at this kidney, they determined it was from somebody who consumed a lot of alcohol, which again does fit oh. with Meadows' history. Perhaps it was indeed hers, especially since, you know, uh, she had part of her kidney removed. It's always interesting, especially going further back with some of these um, murder mysteries, seeing like where technology and science is, uh, you know, kind of landed and um, cause it's like, it's like a timepiece, right? Mm -hmm. Where there, there's, there, I don't think there's any DNA testing back then, or even, even further back then. I think it explained to me when fingerprints were a thing. Um, I don't even know if that was a, I don't think that's a thing all the way back during these times. No. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the investigation, but at this yeah. point in time, there's no DNA evidence and there's not even fingerprinting yet. Yeah. <laughs> Especially cause the, there was the previous letter that said, I might send you the knife and <laughs> Right. You know, it's like, sweet. <laughs> he sent in the night. Send it then, on in. Could you imagine like one of the first um, people to get caught off like fingerprints and stuff like that? They're just like, oh, that's a thing. You're like, wait, what? Especially yeah. if you think back to one of the previous letters where he's like, I tried to write with blood, but instead I used red ink. Isn't that silly? Anyway, uh, I couldn't get the ink off my hands before I sent this. So I'm imagining finger red fingerprints all up and down this letter. Yeah. Dang. But... One little wrinkle that I want to throw in there, and again, there's so many little wrinkles in this case, which is what makes it such a difficult one, is the kidney that was uh, received, while it does seem to fit Edo's as a victim, some doctors believe it could have been from that of a cadaver just due to the state of the kidney. It seemed like it was from a cadaver meant for medical students, maybe because it was in pristine condition or or what have you. I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I wouldn't know the delineation there. But uh, it does open the case up to say, okay, was this from the victim or was this just, I don't know. I don't know where this would have come from. Oh. Or is this a medical student 
who is the one, and maybe that's where that idea that this person knows about the innards of a person, they know the body very well because they're studying, right? Because that was part oh, of the theory. Right. I don't know. It's, it's very easy to get all topsy-turvy on this one. But ultimately, the police believe that the letter was a cruel joke for various reasons. And if that's the case, the fact that this is a cadaver kidney was just to continue to play into that that very, like I said, cruel joke to try to substantiate the idea that this letter was real. So with all that aside, the third letter, police think it's a, it's a hoax, it's a bad joke. We have Ripperologists who believe, yes, I think that this might be one of the possible authentic letters, if not the only possible. So that, again, that's where you have some of the, uh, the conflicting opinions here. But flashing forward a few days still, we're in November now. November 9th of 1888. Struggling with the community's criticism over how this case was handled and the weight of this case, the commissioner of the police resigned. So that same day, November 9th, Mary Jane Kelly was found dead in her bed at 10.45 a.m., also disemboweled. Another victim believed to be a victim of Jack the Ripper. This would be the fifth of those canonical five. And it is believed that the Ripper spent more time with her body due to the privacy of the room. She was in a room. She wasn't out in the streets. She wasn't hidden in the night where other people are still walking around. So because they were tucked away, private room, he had more time to affect his, his brutal style of murdering. I'm not going to go into the major details here, and I will say uh, this is the reason why we have a disclaimer. There are photos of this situation, so if you do decide to look further into Jack the Ripper, you might find yourself looking at photographs of this situation here, of Mary Jane Kelly, and heavy viewer discretion is advised. If you're going to do that, just be mindful. But yeah, suffice it to say, her organs were removed, and she was mutilated beyond recognition. God. Yeah, it's so wait, pretty this harsh. this was in a room was this yeah. also a lady of the night uh yes it is believed okay uh, it is believed that she was and she was in her bed so yes this is in her house in her room whereas the other victims were out on the streets yeah walking about in the night and and then were either hidden or attacked in darker areas of the street it, i mean that that just tells me that maybe he you know i mean there's no indication that he's scared of what he, you know, mm -hmm. of getting getting caught, but I would I would lean more towards just wanting more time. Yeah, it's what's interesting here too, and and this isn't really jumping the gun because we're almost here at the end of the timeline of the of the cases, and you know now that this would be the fifth victim that was confirmed or at least strongly believed to be confirmed to be Jack the Ripper. It could be that he became a client of this woman that. He found them and instead of attacking them uh, as he has attacked the others and then left them in the streets, he might have in his head known this will be my final victim. I'm just extrapolating from what's laid out here mm -hmm. and, and said, okay, yeah, 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 let's continue with services. They go back to the room because clearly whoever killed Mary Jane Kelly here would likely have to have been a client, someone that knew her or someone that knew she was asleep and where she lived. And Jack the Ripper might have said, if this is my last victim, let's... Let's continue this all the way into the bedroom where I will then yeah. initiate this and then escape and then never do this again. I, I don't know. But yes, this is generally believed by the police to be the final murder of Jack the Ripper. And never caught. And never caught. I guess the last thing of note that I wanted to mention here was that she wore only her night clothes and that her other clothes were folded neatly beside her. Yeah, it seems like there was, I mean, who knows, right? But I mean, probably there seems like there's some trust there. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was just me, my conjecture. If you're if you're to stick with the uh, the confidence of the police and the authorities to say these are the only five, and this is where the Jack the Ripper kind of just officially stops before he gets caught or what have you, uh, it could be yeah that they wanted to be they wanted to go a little further. I don't know, especially if they're out there eating organs or something like that and getting really really sinister with it, but. Uh, but that's the end of the timeline, as we will discuss. We're going to talk in the investigation about how the police went about all of this, as well as very lightly talking about some of the six other Whitechapel murders that happened that could have been committed by Jack the Ripper. But again, we'll get there and uh, and talk about it a little bit more then. Hello, everyone. We're going to settle it down because this is a wild mystery. Trevor Collins here with some things to talk about. Thank you all, by the way, for coming to RTX at home, the digital conference, the digital convention. If I could think of the word in time, uh, my mouth goes ahead of my brain sometimes uh, that we do every year is RTX. But this year it was online. You guys came out in droves. We had some new merch come out. We had some panels, uh, the happy hour and everything. So it was really cool. Thank you all for being a part of it. Just wrapped this last weekend. If you want to see any of those VODs, those recorded panels, we'll try to upload those to our YouTube channel. But yeah, a quick reminder for those of you trying to find us on YouTube, if you prefer that location, uh, youtube.com slash redwebpod. But with that out of the way, let's talk about a couple of sponsors. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful, whether it's job stuff, interpersonal dynamics, or just juggling responsibilities. If your stress level is high and your temper is shorter than usual, you could probably use the chance to unload. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast, again, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and RedWeb listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com RedWeb. Get out your typewriter real quick. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash RedWeb. Enter that, let them know we sent you, and see if they can help you in your, in your brain. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Raycon. Now that it's okay to finally start leaving the house again, you're probably planning on getting out this summer. So my advice to you, take your Raycons with you. Whether you're listening to Red Web, as I know you will be, or simply bumping to some summer jams, a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds will give you crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands and Raycons come in a range of colors so you can customize it. You got those customizable gel tips for different sized ears. You can make them match your outfits. You can get real extra with it. Uh, Raycons sent me a pair of headphones and I actually really do enjoy them. They stay in nice and snug. I got some big old ear holes. So I put those uh, medium to large size gel tips on and when I'm out on my walks or my runs or whatever I'm doing, they stay in nice and snug with genuinely good audio quality. So consider them if you're in the market, if you're looking for something like this, there you go. Raycon's offering 15% off all of their products for RedWeb listeners. And here's what you have to do to get it, okay? Write this down. 
Go to buyraycon.com slash redweb. There, you will get 15% off your entire Raycon purchase. It's such a good deal that you'll maybe want to grab a pair and a spare. It rhymes, and it's convenient, especially if you want to give a gift, the gift of beautiful audio to somebody. Maybe they want to listen to Red Web or some nice music, whatever. Get yourself an extra pair. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash redweb. Again, buyraycon, B-U-Y, dot com slash redweb. With all of that said, let's dive right back into the mystery. All right, so let's talk about the investigation that followed the unfortunate timeline that we just outlined. So the investigation that followed was led by Frederick Aberline and involved both Scotland Yard as well as the City of London Police. Now, as we mentioned before, in 1888, they didn't have DNA evidence. They didn't even have fingerprinting yet. So the police had to rely on interviews and confessions in order to make their case, which obviously made this much more difficult, yeah, <laughs> as you can imagine. Damn, I mean, that's just hearsay at this point. Like, how do you, how do you believe? How do you, oof, I don't know, man. Right, <laughs> right. So it's just rough. a lot of trust. And, and to complicate this, because it's obviously a crime-ridden area, and it was a very popular crime spree because people were writing about Jack the Ripper. I mean, you just have all sorts of characters out there saying whatever they want. Yeah. Any, anyone can say anything, and, and I just don't under... Like, is that really all they had? That's what they had. And I think what you do is you listen to every single person you can listen to, and you try to verify the stories by meshing them all up. So that's the complicated yeah. piece, is you talk to tons and tons of people, and then see what is the biggest or most likely through thread, you know? Yeah. That's why you have things like Occam's Razor, you have all these philosophical decision-making techniques. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the police went from house to house investigating White Chapel residents and interviewed upwards of 2,000 people. So you got a lot of stories. Damn. Yeah. As we had mentioned a few times before uh, this point, you know, the Canonical Five were all connected because of the commonalities of each of the scenarios, each of the victims. So I want to talk about some of those commonalities here. I know we outlined a few before, but just for the sake of a succinct investigation, let's talk about some of those. All but the final victim of the Canonical Five were killed very quickly and had mutilations that occurred after death, right? Mm -hmm. The first four victims' throats were all cut from left to right in a quick succession, basically to stop a scream or stop a yell or to, you know, put them down quickly. Silence and... Yeah. Right. But the direction, when you remember Kelly's situation, it was impossible to tell just because of how brutal her condition was or she was found in it was just a, a brutal scenario there in addition to that all of the victims were killed late at night and during or close to the weekend so this coupled with the fact that the murders occurred within the same area led investigators to believe that jack the ripper was local to Whitechapel, which makes a whole lot of sense knowing the streets knowing where mm -hmm. to hide perhaps knowing how to get away a lot of the people were found within 30 minutes of apparently meeting their demise and so, yeah, this person would have to know how to get around. For example, Eddowes was killed after Stride, right? They were about 12 minutes apart, but clearly this person showed a knowledge of the streets, the town, etc., how to get around. And perhaps how to blend in like a normal person, just knowing the attire of the town. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if that's a huge thing. I feel like, you know, you're not going to wear a uh, I'm a murderer shirt on you. Yeah. But it certainly wouldn't help if you did. But from this and, and looking at all the situations, authorities started to believe that, okay, I think Jack the Ripper is acting alone. And from 
everything that they're seeing, this person must have had a hatred for women, in particular, sex workers, which is, you know, obviously one of the other commonalities we've discussed. And after looking at each of the victims, it was believed that the Ripper had some sort of anatomical knowledge and or a skill with a knife because of, you know, obviously the condition the bodies were found in. And thus, yep. many surgeons and local butchers were also investigated by the police. Very smart of them, straightforward. Right, you got to go to the people that know. And what makes this frustrating, though, is much like many of the key elements of this case, the idea that the Ripper had a deeper understanding of the human anatomy has been disputed over the years. There's a lot of people that have looked at this case, both then and now, who just fundamentally disagree on some of the major trends. You know, we think he might be a doctor or a surgeon. Mm -hmm. We definitely don't think what that is. You know, it, it makes it very hard to track it down. And I think that's a product of the time. It's a, it's a product yeah. of the lack of forensics uh, mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. You know, information can get easily muddied. Yeah, like technology has advanced for us and, and the way we look at things and, and murderers and the thought process is just like so many, like so many years and years of progress. Mm-hmm. One thing that stands out to me, though, with regard, like, it does make sense. Hey, it, clearly this person's removing pieces of organs and consistently, and it, and I guess it doesn't look like he's fishing around trying to find something, so he knows what he's going for. Uh, somebody that doesn't know what a kidney looks like, if they just went in and started removing pieces, they might not remove the same organ each time. But in addition to that, regardless, I think it was interesting to note that the fact that the Ripper seemed to laugh at the idea of being called a doctor. You know, in the postscript yeah. for the Dear Boss letter, he was like, ha ha, you think I'm a doctor? That's ridiculous. And that's an interesting note that I will revisit in the suspects list. Okay. Because, like I said, many of the suspects are going to be doctor or surgeon-centric, and many just aren't because of, uh, of how people kind of fall with regards to this point. So we're thinking that you just took it as like a compliment? I don't know if he thought it was a compliment or if he thought it was like, wow, you guys are so bad at your job. You think I'm a doctor? I barely know what I'm doing. Because, you yeah. know, if you're if you're just like uh, Sweeney Todd and you're like, just because I'm cutting someone open doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. That's true. I, you know, I think it's hilarious that, you know, that mm -hmm. especially if they reflect on their own knowledge. Maybe that's because that, clearly they have an ego. Yeah. They seem to be rubbing it in a bit. What's interesting, and I didn't know about this part, is that there were witnesses around some of these uh, situations. I didn't think people really saw who it was, but from all the stories, they were able to gather a consistent witness description of who the Jack the Ripper was. And he was described as a pale man standing at about 5'5 five, five to 5'7 five, and was stocky in his build. He is believed to have been in his late 20s, maybe early 30s, so a young adult. Mm -hmm. And he wore a coat, a dark coat, a hat, and had a mustache, which, of course, of course he did. I'm sure it was all curled up and he spoke yeah. like this, see? <laughs> yeah. So, hmm, what was the life expectancy during those times? That's a good question. Yeah. All right, it looks like just at a very cursory glance, you had a good chance of living to your 50s or early 60s. Oh. Around this time period. I think, you know, life expectancies during that time period tend to be averaged down because of health in children yeah. and survival rates of of babies and whatnot but so yeah i mean you know young adult mid-ish age for that time perhaps yeah okay yeah so it wasn't that bad was, yeah okay now as i mentioned we have the canonical five and that's why people think that jack the ripper must have stopped after mary jane kelly's death but 
I want to talk about the six Whitechapel murders. Just very briefly, I'm going to outline two of the cases Mm -hmm. without diving into details because I'd be remiss if I didn't cover them. But you'll quickly kind of see why some people don't tend to believe that these follow within the same characteristics of the other ones. So in September 10th of 1889, this is a year later, a woman's torso was discovered on Pynchon Street at 5.15 a.m., Now, the situation is a little bit different when you look at it. There was bruising on the body, which indicates that the woman must have been beaten before death. And some believe that this doesn't fit the Ripper's otherwise very consistent M.O., while others do believe that this was the Ripper, yet part of a second killing spree committed by the Ripper known as the Thames Torso Murders. So we're kind of all falling over each other, trying to figure out who's what's and where's. But the fact is, M.O.'s don't tend to shift very often when someone has a very consistent MO. And the fact is the five that we've outlined already happened in a three-ish month time window, a very tight time window. Yep. And these other six murders happened over the course of the following years and were a little bit more spread out and different kind of in their nature. And then on February 13th of 1891, we have the final, actually, of these six Whitechapel murders. And this was Francis Coles, who was found very shortly after being attacked and was still alive at the time of being found, though unfortunately she did die before help could arrive. She was probably unable to speak considering uh, her throat had been slashed, but unlike again, the Jack the Ripper uh, victims that we had before, there were no Mm -hmm. other mutilations and this person was found alive, which is, I mean, we've had people who were found very quickly after being attacked, but- Yeah, but they're um, dead. But it would be interesting to know if this person was able to convey any information. Right. Anything whatsoever. Oh, God. It's just, it's so long ago. Mm-hmm. That I, how do you just listen to what people have to say? You know what I mean? Like, science isn't at that point. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe, you just, maybe people were just more honest, you know? <sighs> <laughs> yeah, officer, I did. I mean, I got to say it. I say I got to did it. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was me. I mean, <laughs> uh, back then... Even back then, everyone was saying it was me, apparently. Apparently. But in addition to this one kind of feeling a little bit like the Jack the Ripper murders, there was a man named James Sadler who had been seen with Coles that night before her death and was later seen that night at 3 a.m. covered in blood. So he seemed like a very obvious candidate for someone who had committed foul play with regards to Francis Coles. in blood. Covered in blood. So from this, we then have the investigation. The police are saying, okay, maybe this guy is Jack the Ripper, because if this is a Jack the Ripper kill, this guy seems to be super caught red handed, red shirted, red clothed (laughs) uh, at 3 a.m. Just just like hearsay, though. Right. But oh, I hate that. The problem here with or the problem with that theory, I should say, is that James Sadler was not in town during the canonical five murders. And so it is very unlikely that James Sadler is Jack the Ripper. Therefore, it is unlikely because it seems likely that he's the killer here, that these kills are a little bit flimsily attached to Jack the Ripper. That's all I want to say. Now we don't even know which kills. Oh, God. Right, And and that's why I don't want to dive too deeply into the six. I mean, they're worth hearing about, but there's... That's where the inconsistencies really start to pop out. Damn. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's all like the very little that we know is all kind of falling apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, and I want to finish the investigation with this uh, with this outline here that the FBI created. They made a psychological profile for Jack the Ripper in 1988. So this was 100 years after the events took place back in 1888. And the outline is as follows. White male, mid-20s or early 30s, lived in the area, had an absent father or perhaps none at all, most likely had a job where he could practice destructive behavior, most likely stopped due to either death, arrest, or fear of getting caught, and had a physical defect and experienced anger because of it. And so that's the outline we have, and that kind of helps feed into the suspects that we're going to talk about next. Okay. So I guess in recap, we have very little information to go off of. We have some eyewitness accounts of what this person might have looked like, their build. We have a pretty strong psychological profile from the FBI that I think is consistent with the facts at hand. And then we have the idea that this person was either adept with a knife or otherwise knew about the innards of a, of a person. Mm-hmm. Had some kind of uh, career that allowed destructive behavior. Destructive behavior, yeah. And clearly had some sort of... Um, I don't know if target's the right word, but definitely had a characteristic of person that they were after. In this case, sex worker and female. So that's more or less everything that we can go off of. Obviously, we're not the ones outlining the suspects. We're just yeah. delivering to you all <laughs> what investigators have talked about. And and in this particular case, I'm going to present them actually in in an order that feels like they get stronger as we go. Okay. I'd be remiss with dropping any of these off. I have my own personal inclinations, uh, and so do many others. But uh, they all have very interesting facts surrounding them, and that's why I want to discuss each of them. But I think it does get stronger as we go through. But we're going to start with, and, and this is also to mention, there are hundreds of suspects uh, regarding Jack the Ripper and who could have done it. And so these are just four or five of the strongest suspects that have been discussed. See, that's my thing about the whole FBI psychological profile thing. Uh -huh. It's just, it just seems like we, there were killings and, and there's nothing that's really solid to stand on or kind of go by. Yeah. And then a hundred years later, it's like, all right, here's this psychological profile. It's like, we barely know like what, what went down or who we didn't really have any strong leads like <laughs> right. and all of a sudden like you're like ooh, this guy like cheerios in the morning yeah and i'm just like what how what? <laughs> and we're just all right okay yeah i mean oh, listen it is a skill to be able to uh label someone to a t and really figure out the inner workings of the mind i think you know given the limited knowledge that this does seem like a pretty strong profile that said it does feel vague um, yeah, it's just a oh, man. Yeah, flimsy, I don't right? know. I, 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 I uh, well, you know, with our whole discussion, just doesn't feel like we have much or anything, or even know what was him, what wasn't, and right. then all of a sudden it's like, here's this profile. This I will be genuinely shocked, truly, if we ever find out who actually was behind this. Just given the the, the surrounding circumstances it feels like it might be just impossible that the variables to solve the equation might not exist anymore. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's so challenging about this. But I mean, 
fascinating case. Some very interesting things are going to come out here in the suspects. So let's talk about a Whitechapel resident by the name of Aaron Kosminski, who was one of three people suspected of being Jack the Ripper by Sir Melvin McNaughton, who was an assistant commissioner of the London Metropolitan Police. For what it's worth, McNaughton worked on the case from 1889 to 1891, which does cover the time frame of the six additional Whitechapel murders. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to hear more about this guy. So let's break down Kosminski. He was known to hate women and sex workers, so we have that checked off. And he looked similar to how some of the witnesses described the Ripper. Another box checked. Now, here is why I really wanted to start with this guy. He's one of the more recent suspects to come into the spotlight and there are a lot of uh, people arguing about it, but let's outline it. An odd but interesting note uh, with regards to this guy is that there was a book in 2014 entitled Naming Jack the Ripper by Russell Edwards. The author claims that Kosminski had a shawl that had belonged to Eddowes, one of the canonical five victims. This shawl has since been tested and shows DNA matching descendants of both of those two individuals, meaning that Kosminski had oh. some form of direct ties to Edo's. So let me break it down a little bit more. Okay. Both Edo's and Kosminski had sisters who then now have living descendants to this day. So that's how we were able to test the bloodline. The shawl that Kosminski had purchased had blood and semen on it that were both tested and had mitochondrial DNA results with 99.2% matching both descendant Ooh. lines, meaning the blood and semen off of this shawl were from both parties, meaning that we have an intimate tie between a victim and this person. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they're the Ripper, but it does, you know, put them a little closer to the case. It certainly attaches them a little bit more. I think it's very fascinating just how, you know, it's, it's we're just looking at stuff that happened so far back, but technology has advanced to the point where we could start piecing some things together. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, you know? we've, we've had some discussions before on the show of, of people who got caught way later just because technology advanced far right. enough for them to get caught with what little we had. Technology is so wild. It, it just makes me think, you know, this is obviously like 140-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. But like, what's gonna happen in 140 years from now? That they'll maybe yeah. like, you and I are living our lives doing this podcast or whatever, and then soon we'll be gone. Not soon, hopefully, but eventually we'll be gone. And people will be able to look back with a strong level of insight, potentially, on your True. and I's daily life, just because of whatever tech exists then. You know what I mean? Yeah. You it know? makes things wild. I mean, if there's like about. a huge kind of like breakthrough, um, some type of technology that really helps and pinpoint stuff down, <laughs> who knows we could be gone and uh you know there's coverage of what our show and essentially another show that that just goes hey this is the information they had back then well this is how it changed now you know what I mean? oh like, man like you get, imagine the layers of that I'm gonna stamp this for the records if you're listen if you're in the future and you're using us as your sources we're very humbled but also get some help yeah, just go out there and get some help. You know what I mean? Damn, they're looking back like, wow, they really thought it this way. Boy, were they wrong. Some weird game of telephone. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like I've always, and I'm going to super digress for a second because I'm just going to geek out. But I've always thought, you know, you think of three, three dimensions and then you think of the space time fabric. And then you think, is the fourth dimension some form of time? Is that what we experience as time? Yeah. What if in, in the future we have time travel, not in the sense of I went back and I watched JFK get popped from the grassy knoll. What if instead it's, you don't physically go back, but you can look back along the fourth dimension, meaning you could watch the past right. through a lens of some sort. Wouldn't that be wild? That some sort of uh, would be too much power. Too much power. Would be It'd be some that. sort of weird minority report business going on. Yep. And then at the end, you know, they're just like, yeah, they... They had a faulty system, but they didn't yeah. come out with it because they're just like, I oh, know we've locked away way too many people off of this, yeah. this system. And uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. We're going to have to take your newborn. Why? He becomes Jack the Ripper. Oh, no. Like, that's some like very sci-fi, very much. Yeah. You know, a little bit minority port. But mm -hmm. could you imagine just like tomorrow someone, uh, I don't know, FBI or some task force oh my god maybe our own task force <gasps> from the future maybe they're out there i don't need you imagine our own task force from the future like you guys will you guys went off the deep end uh in the future and we're locking you up now for your future <laughs> crimes hi my <laughs> mind would crimes. be blown i'd be like there's no way there's no task way. force gonna rule the world oh my god what have we started i, I don't know <laughs> that's it's a beast of its own now it's uh, in their hands <laughs> yeah right okay that's right, it's diving deep into sci-fi that's the that's the day that true crime dies, though, right? When you can peep back and just be like, "Yeah, I seen Jack the Ripper rip a guy's jawbone off before. I've seen it. You, you know who it is. There's no there's no mystery anymore, dude. I would I would just think that the news would fire off and rattle off names and pictures of of people like um like anti cheat does with like uh like Rainbow Six Siege, which yeah, is an FPS game. Because with with the uh, siege uses the um it's called battle eye. So whenever somebody mm -hmm. gets banned, it publicly says on everyone's game like such and such was banned. Could you, you imagine, imagine if we had that minority <laughs> part thing? You would just you have you would news? have someone on the news just going like this person, this person, and that person, and this person, and that A channel person. dedicated to just straight up debunking like, all mysteries. They just yeah, like in two words go of, boom, boom. Yeah, the list boom. of people people would be. Read. I don't know, man. That'd just be pure chaos. Be chaos, but I mean, at the end of the day, you but know, just, as much as I like a mystery, it's also good to solve them when they're uh, uh, when yes. they're a crime like this. But let's get back. <laughs> let's get back into Kosminski here a little bit because there are some wrinkles in that uh, theory, right? Mm -hmm. The theory has received a lot of criticism for a couple reasons, but namely because it wasn't peer reviewed, which I think is is important. But the biggest issue with regards to this was that there is no evidence that we're aware of that the shawl was found at the scene of a crime. And so it's, I mean, yes, the shawl has uh, some sort of DNA evidence attaching these two people, but is it just because they knew each other? Is it circumstantial? I, I don't know. It, it does. It's not proven right. to be part of this crime spree, so it doesn't necessarily attach this, uh, this identity to Jack the Ripper. But in addition to that, now continuing to build on the wrinkle, is that mitochondrial DNA, I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about for a second. Uh -huh. There, So DNA tests use nuclear DNA. Mitochondrial DNA is a little bit different, but it does have a higher likelihood of getting a false match. And so that is what was used here, which does 
leave you open to some uh, some error. In addition to that, we have the inventor of the DNA fingerprinting, Professor Sir Alec Jeffries, who also pointed out that in the book, the DNA from Eddowes' descendants contained a supposed rare mutation entitled 314.1C. Now, this apparently was actually an error. I don't know if it was an error in the print or an error on the forensics and science side, but they actually meant 315.1C, so a little bit different. And it turns out that that particular mutation is present in 99% of people of European descent, which I don't know if that's what they were hanging their hat on, that they had that. I, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I think all that really does say is, uh, is that it really opens the window for that 99.2% match confidence to be shaken a little bit, to be not as confident. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew knew there was going to be something. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, this information was again published in 2019. And this was posted about the match with the DNA between Kozminski and Eddowes. And this was published in the Journal of Forensic Sciences. However, again, it was disputed. So, you know, it is possible that Kozminski was Jack the Ripper. Uh, He also matched the FBI profile in a number of ways. But the current evidence is not strong enough to definitely say that it's Jack the Ripper. Or even confidently say, in my my opinion. Yeah, you can't pin on that. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. But with that said, let's move on to another suspect. We have Montague John Druitt, who was a barrister in Blackheath, London, and was the son of a surgeon. Sir McNaughton also proposed him as one of his three main suspects. And after losing his job in November of 1888, Druitt ended his life at about 40 years old. McNaughton theorized that this is why the Ripper murders ended, because this was right after that two or three month run those five murders that happened just before that. And if those are the ones we definitely say are Jack the Ripper and the others aren't, it would stand to reason, hey, maybe this is why, because this suspect uh, killed themselves right afterward. Well, that would would be a, a guaranteed way to get away with it. Like... That's true. But in addition to that interesting timing at hand, there are a couple other elements that do build an interesting case. Uh, regarding Druitt. So, one, Druitt's mother suffered from mental illness, and it was theorized that perhaps Montague John Druitt here also did, and that might have contributed to the situation at hand. It's possible that Druitt had an interest in surgery and may maybe even had some form of anatomical knowledge as a result of that and as a result of his father's career as a surgeon. And McNaughton also claimed that even Druitt's family believed that he was, quote, sexually insane and could have been the Ripper. And so from all of this, it seems like he is a possible suspect, right? Sexually insane. Sexually insane. I don't know exactly what that would mean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it would be what Jack the Ripper is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, man, the only thing is just sexually like, insane. There's just a lot of, um, I don't know. It's just a lot. You just gotta, oh God, it sucks. You just have to listen to what people are saying. Exactly. You gotta hear them out and then, you know, try and figure it out from there. There's really nothing that kind of helps here. Right. One last piece here regarding Druitt. Uh, his physical description was a little different than that of eyewitnesses. While his height might've been similar, he was more slender, yet... He seems to fit the FBI profile in several ways, uh, which is interesting. But 
as we always like to do, we like to address the wrinkles in the theory. So Druitt lived close enough to walk to Whitechapel, but mm-hmm. not necessarily close enough that if he were to commit a crime, get blood on his clothes or whatever, to get back home unnoticed. It would be quite the lengthy walk to go entirely unnoticed. And so that would definitely raise some flags and bring some attention towards him if it was him. And then we also have the leading investigator who we talked about earlier in the episode, Frederick Aberlein. This guy claimed that the only real evidence against Druitt was simply the timing of his death. And if that's really all you have to go off of, sure, it's coincidental, but that's all you got. And it and you can't convict somebody over just that. Yeah, then that's that's why you won't ever be able to convict somebody. It's just a mm-hmm. lot of like, oh hey, this person said this. All right. right. Yeah, someone said something, then there was some funky timing. So, uh, sorry, pal. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. But speaking of Frederick Aberlein, I want to talk about his lead suspect, who was actually a serial killer who went by the name of George Chapman. And that's who we're going to talk about. His real name, however, was Severin Kosovsky. Chapman had multiple mistresses and had killed three of them by poisoning, all after the Ripper murders took place. And he was actually known to hate women. Chapman studied to be a surgeon and worked as a nurse before he left Poland for London. He stayed in Whitechapel for a couple of months, and his arrival and departure coincide very well with Nichols's and Kelly's deaths, which would be the first and final victims, respectively. So, his arrival and departure in town coincided with the start and end of the Canonical Five. That's tough. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have that alone, but then to have this guy like knowingly have a dislike for women and to then go on and kill three other women by poisoning later on, not a good look. (sighs) Certainly. But do killers usually change their like... Exactly. That's a great point. Like their style? Right. Mm. I saw exactly where you're going with it. That is yeah. that is one of the biggest issues with this suspect is that the MO, the, mo- the modus operandi of how a killer goes about doing their thing, you know, they can change. It can, but... It, it tends to be very unlikely. It's not impossible, yeah. but yeah, historically, it's been very unlikely that that happens. A couple other things, though, with regard to this suspect, he did match the witness descriptions of the Ripper. And Chapman became a Ripper suspect after the death of his third mistress when police found out that she had been poisoned. They figured out, boom, there's some uh, something malicious going on. Obviously, you're not usually accidentally poisoned. Then they figured out, okay, there's a pattern here with this guy. His first wife actually claimed that he kept a knife under his pillow with plans to cut off her head and bury her. What? Yeah. So this, coupled with the fact that he studied as a surgeon, convinced Aberlein, who again was the lead investigator of this case, that he could have been the Ripper. But that comes to the wrinkles where we talk about the MO changing pretty drastically. Mm -hmm. And he also didn't live as close to the murders as other suspects, which is a pretty big piece of this case with not much else to go off of. You kind of have to trust that whoever this is, is either within or knows Whitechapel very well. And so I think proximity is a big factor. Oh, man. Again, you know, just kind of just the someone, you know, just saying that this person's like this. And you just go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, interesting. 
dancing around it. You're just dancing close, dancing far. I mean, that's, I mean, I know you go into these things blind and you react, but I'm with you. That's exactly the consistent narrative here with all of the suspects. And I think that's just going to be the case with something like the, uh, the Jack yeah, the Ripper so case is, yeah. is all you got is, is story. And you know, you have, okay, these things line up. Okay. This fits nicely. Right. But then these other things just really cause a, a disruption in trying to solve that puzzle. But that said, I think this last person that I'm going to talk about in particular okay. is a very interesting suspect. And then we're going to wrap up with a couple smaller theories, as we like to do. But let's talk about Joseph Barnett. He was a fish porter in Whitechapel, and he was actually Mary Jane Kelly's roommate. Mary Jane Kelly being that fifth canonical victim. Joseph Barnett was 5'7", had a mustache, and actually lived in Whitechapel his entire life. So he would probably know the streets very well. Okay. Barnett was in love with Kelly and wanted her to stop working as a sex worker. So, the theory goes that Barnett committed the brutal murders in order to scare her, that he was killing other sex workers in the area to get her to say, oh my gosh, someone is targeting sex workers, I better stop. Whoa, okay, wow. Yeah. That's a very interesting, I didn't think it, yeah, I didn't think it would take that route. It's a very interesting theory so Ooh. far. That's a, it's just an interesting reason. Yeah, right? Right? I love you. Don't want you to do this. And so I'm going to murder everyone that's in your profession to scare you out of it. Let me just say this. Communication is important. Okay, let's just talk to each other sometimes. Right. <laughs> like, let's not be so indirect as to like, <laughs> this will do it. Uh, You know, we don't need to Rube Goldberg this decision into place. Mm-hmm you know, with, with victims in play. But let's continue on with Joseph Barnett because there's okay. some other interesting pieces here. October 30th, 1888, the two roommates had an argument that led to a broken window and then led to Barnett moving out. This fight could have been over his failed plan and her continued work as a sex worker. Uh, it's not exactly sure. But nine days later, that is when Kelly was murdered. She was the last confirmed victim and was uh, the only one that was not killed in public. Remember, we talked about how brutal this particular murder was. The fact that it was yeah. in her bed, in her place, it would likely necessitate someone. We, we, we mentioned this earlier. We were talking about uh, trust. Right. We talked about trust. We talk about maybe it's a roommate, somebody that knew who she was, knew where she lived, knew, maybe had access to this place. Uh, I also know that we theorized that because of her work, it could have been a client that came back with yeah. her. That's still totally possible. But uh, the fact that this guy was a roommate means maybe maybe he still had access to the apartment that they shared. You know, I mean, this was only nine days later. Also, since she had a roommate, that just makes me think that it's less likely that her place of business, um, you know, where she conduct where she conducted her business was in her personal apartment. Right. That is something that sat in the back of my mind. I'm not exactly sure how this whole thing crumbles. Certainly not in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would I would wager that it wouldn't be in your own personal residence, like you're saying. But yeah, and, and the brutality of it all could be because this was a crime perhaps of passion and i don't i don't say that to defend it i mean like mm -hmm. it's clear that joseph barnett in this particular situation felt very strongly with regards to this decision and then was very strong in his upset right 
And so maybe that's why this particular one was so brutal because it yeah. was much more personal. In addition to that, you know, we talked about a couple people that had either direct or tangential relationships to a surgeon or the interest of surgery, but he was a fish porter, which perhaps is why he had some sort okay. of skill with knives, you know? Yeah. And he matched all but one of the parts in the FBI profile. He did not die, nor was he arrested after the murders. That's the only piece of the profile that he wouldn't have fit. Perhaps, though, he just, uh, he felt regret and he didn't continue. And perhaps now, you know, if you go with the theory, which was, I committed these crimes prior to you to scare you away from it, well, if you killed the person that you were trying to scare away from it, you no longer have a motive to continue killing. Yeah. Right? Like that was that was it. That's what got you into it. You, mm. mm -hmm. It's a very interesting thing. And and again, you know, uh, you think of a fish porter and you think if they did these crimes and the police are investigating, they're saying, hey, maybe it's a it's a doctor or something. You know, you got to reflect back to that postscript. And then he's like, ha, they think I'm a, a doctor? Yeah. Ah, I'm yeah. not. I'm just adept with a knife, you know? Oh, man. And here's the thing. I don't have a whole lot of issues or wrinkles to address with this suspect, but police did interview Barnett. And coming out of that, they did not believe him to be a suspect. That's all I got right there. Oh, okay. I thought, <laughs> thought there was more. No, I, I'm flabbergasted. I'm shook. I'm reading this going, what? nah, I don't think this is the guy. I mean, listen, I'm not going to convict somebody. I'm not going to throw someone's name into the mud because I'm just a dude reading about a mystery. All right. Roommate. But in my humble opinion, I am H.O. or whatever the thing is. This guy's got a lot. Compared to the other suspects, this guy is a strong candidate. Yeah. I mean, so to me, the strongest one yet, the one I, I've, I don't know, I felt uh, more invested in. Yeah. A lot, a lot of stuff adding up there. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, in the police's defense, the reason why they kind of stepped away from that thinking, no, I don't think he's a suspect, is because witnesses that had known about Barnett and Kelly say that they remained friends after he moved out. Now, to me, I don't think that that's enough reason to just say, okay, well, everything else at hand oh, yeah. is is worth throwing away because people can fake it, especially if someone's mm -hmm. out there killing people and then walking amongst other people. It's not like, you know, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's yeah. that could have been what happened here. That's so... Damn. Yeah. Or like a relationship. You know how these go. Like a relationship that says, hey, well, let's break up, but I still want to be friends. Totally possible, just unlikely. Very and, unlikely, uh, yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like project into this situation at all, but you know, you have to kind of weigh that in a little bit. I, I just, man, I just can't believe they didn't chase that down more. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. But hey, that is what we have on Joseph Barnett. Now let's talk about a few smaller theories and uh, suspects. We have the idea, and this is just a loose one. I don't have a whole lot of detail about it, but we have the idea that Jack the Ripper was not in fact a male but instead a oh. woman. Yeah. Now this is popular, which is why I, uh, you know, wish I had a little bit more information regarding it, but it is kind of just a looser theory that instead it is Jill the Ripper, not Jack the Ripper, and might have been a midwife uh, of sorts. Jillian, oh. do we have any other information with regards to this particular theory? Yeah, the main thing is that somebody would you'd be less likely to suspect a woman in general. And then a midwife having blood on her clothes wouldn't be, you know, ah. abnormal. 
Like the thing on Casebook they have is like what sort of person could move about at night without arousing suspicion. They might, if she was a midwife, midwife she would know like possibly about surgery in some way, you know? Oh my gosh, this was actually, here's a quote by Aberlene himself that he pondered aloud. He says, quote, do you think that it could be the case of not Jack the Ripper, but Jill the Ripper? Ah. So he's out here actually, you know, waxing poetic that it could be. I think the idea that Jill the Ripper is the angle to go at is actually perhaps an opening for a, another episode. I think that there's a lot of material there. Uh, really? Certainly, you know, what the motive might be. But I think what the reason why I don't want to dive into that too deeply is because I think it might actually open the door to other criminal activities uh, and other uh, crime sprees that happened in the area. So the idea of Jill the Ripper or Jack the Ripper, it could be conflated again because that happened a lot with regards to Jack the Ripper. There were a lot of crimes and murders happening at that time. And I feel that this could be conflation that, uh, that some of the female suspects that might be suspects for other situations might also be kind of lumped in here. So I just wanted to mention it. You know, it is something that people have mm -hmm. talked about, but um, other than what Jillian offered there before, we don't have much else to go on. Damn, that would be yeah. so interesting if the whole time this big, huge, like well-known serial killer was a female. Right? I, I just never even, didn't cross my mind. Yeah, I think that's so interesting, you know, especially when you think of a case for your basically your whole life. This is just one of the most infamous cases. And so when you think Jack the Ripper, you have this image in your mind and it would be interesting if more information comes out regarding this theory and then suddenly yep. everything, it's like Jurassic Park. No, dinosaurs had feathers. Adi, adi, adi. What? Yeah. It's just a total 180. Two other suspects, though, worth lightly talking about. One is Prince Albert Victor, that this was some sort of royal family cover-up. So one theory states that Prince Albert frequented sex workers in Whitechapel. He later contracted syphilis and went mad enough to attack people. Author Stephen Knight's theory states that Prince had a child with a woman in Whitechapel. However, when it comes to this theory and him being Jack the Ripper, he had an alibi for most of the murders. It has continued to be theorized that in order to overshadow the news of the child and his ongoing activities in Whitechapel, that someone in the royal family orchestrated the Ripper murders. So whether it was him directly or the hiring of a hitman or someone else, that it was maybe a distraction in play and that the victims at hand might have known about the child's existence because they might have known whoever Prince Albert might have been meeting up with in the night. They might have been friends of that person or just colleagues of that person. And so they were just trying to kind of do in with the the witnesses, yeah. so to speak. It's a big old cover up. Yeah. Huh. And then the last interesting theory that I want to mention is H.H. Holmes. Now, this comes from a 2017 docu-series which aired on the History Channel called American Ripper. Now, I have to say this, I'm not trying to, to th throw shade at History Channel, but I gotta right. be real, for, for a channel that went from discussing actual history and how the wars unfolded, they've really gone into the shadow <laughs> realm a little bit where oh. I can't, I just can't figure out what's factual history that they put out and what's like, this is a yeah. really interesting twist on history. It's called historical fiction. Got it. But I, you know, that's that's an aside, and I think that you know that's worth mentioning because 
that would clearly play into what's happening here. But mm -hmm. in this series, we have the great-great-grandson, I believe, of H.H. Holmes. He's attempting to explain or prove how his, you know, his, his ancestor was actually Jack the Ripper. H.H. Holmes was a notorious Chicago murderer. That's a fact. It's a totally different uh, situation, uh, or rather topic to talk about. Right. But suffice it to say that his crime spree in Chicago, beginning in December of 1891, coincided relatively nicely with the end of the murders, not only the canonical five, but also the six Whitechapel murders. The, the last of those happened in February of 1891. So... I think the cornerstone of this theory is that the actions in Chicago started around the time that the London-based murders ended. And that's really the main piece. And we already have a suspect that has coincidental timing as well. I don't know if that's enough to go off of. It is certainly a, a broad topic to dive into, I think, because it is like a six-part or so docuseries. But damn, I don't know. I it, It's a fascinating theory to, to think about, but... I don't know if it's worth really diving deeper on at this point in time. Right. I mean, six part series, that's a heavy handed, like lean into that theory. Right. But that's where I have to be like, okay, realistically, History Channel, are we, is this fanciful? Are we really stretching out the facts and being like, we're just not being pragmatic and we're saying, but what if this, like they, they rely on a lot of coincidences and a lot of like, this is impossible, so it must have been aliens, rather than like, well, again, going back to Occam's Razor, what is the most likely outcome of this thing? Is it truly the that, you know, alien gods came down, or is it, mm -hmm. I mean, that's where you get the whole, uh, you know, ancient aliens meme. I mean, they gotta spice it up, right, for a six-part series. I suppose, you know, it's sometimes, history's boring, it's the same every day. I think History Channel's right, they gotta spice it up. <laughs> hey, you get six-part series, you gotta... Get those views. Get those if, views. If, if, was, if you're sitting there trying to like take someone down a rabbit hole and then going, and yeah. Listen, I have no problem with that. Do it all you want, but maybe you should start calling yourself uh, something else other than the history channel. This is history. That's true. <laughs> that's uh, you're, actually, you're not wrong. But yeah, I think that's another, these are really interesting angles to come from. There's not a whole lot of material there to substantiate them, but I, I wanted to mention because of how unique and fascinating they were. Mm -hmm. uh, to recap, you have the female, Jill the Ripper, you have a royal cover-up, and you have the fact that this person ended their crime spree in London, made it away to the Americas, went to Chicago, and continued a crime spree before finally getting caught. But, oh man, was the, the, the ammo the same... Thing? It was mostly uh, suffocation, so oh, okay. overdose of chloroform, overexposure to lighting gas fumes, trapped in an airless vault. What the heck? Okay, so simple answer, Alfredo, based on that, from what Jilly was saying. Jesus. No. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, this person got really into suffocating. Yeah, suffocation, uh, vanishings all the way down to saw-like traps of being locked into an airless vault. So yeah, no, definitely a different MO. Good question. But yeah, I think that's a whole, that's a whole, what do they call it? Case of eggs? Crack of, crack of, crack of eggs? Omelet? That's a whole different omelet to get that, into. That's a whole different omelet? Is that a <laughs> There's no way. I've never heard that. 
No, oh, man. That's yeah, a whole different no, that's a thing. That's a thing. What? Task Force, you what? got me. You they got my back. They, they, they might make it a thing. I don't think it's a thing. Yeah, no, no, no. They, they, they know. <laughs> they know. By the way, go to store.roosty.com. Get our egg pen. Uh, <laughs> why, do we, why do we have an egg pen? Egg. <laughs> Wait, I want to make that happen now. Uh, speaking Just of pens, actually, I'm gonna. Um, I was being facetious, but I'm gonna come back. Uh, you guys have been just loving our merch, and we really appreciate it. We had uh, restocked our pin, the Task Force badge pin, and you guys sold it out again instantly. Like no lie, it's a cool feeling. Thank you. Yes, genuinely, thank you so much. It goes directly to support this show and continue. Doing what we do, you know, uh, at this point in time, we've already expanded now onto YouTube. If you prefer to have visuals with your podcast, some people prefer to listen to podcasts on YouTube. So we wanted to expand there as well. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we're, we're always thinking about ideas on how to expand this show, uh, not just as a podcast, but offering other pieces of content within this realm. And so we had a lot of cool ideas. But when it comes to pins, uh, I, I want to go ahead and just have this open dialogue with you guys. I I thought of the idea of maybe doing some serialized pins, right? So doing like a cryptid set. Got like a Mothman pin, a Bigfoot pin, stuff like that. And you can get the whole set or you can just get individual ones and then maybe doing internet mystery themed pins or pins based on true crime in some way. And if that's something you'd be interested in, uh, let us know. You can let us know in uh, many different ways. You can go to roosterteeth.com where you can leave us comments. You can tweet us at redwebpod. You can email us now. That's right. We are in the 21st century. Redweb at roosterteeth.com. There's a thousand ways you can support us and reach out to us and let us know about mysteries and other things going on. And, and a lot of you have. And you have. And so thank you for doing that. I, I really like the um, the kind of back and forth we're able to have around this show. I think talking about mysteries is just something that I'm, you know, deeply fascinated with. And I know Fredo loves them as well. And so yep. being able to talk with you guys and hear about your theories online, just like I, I love the conversation that keeps going around. It's awesome. But all right, that's Jack the Ripper, a wild case, a lot of twists and turns. Hopefully we didn't uh, get too many of the wires crossed because... You know, it's just one of those old school cases that has a lot of uh, points that are argued and disagreed upon. And that makes sense yeah. when you have, yeah. you know, stories, when you when you don't have the deeper forensic sciences that we have now. Right. I couldn't I didn't lean into many things, but I will say, like, the roommate was one. Dude, I don't know, man. That almost sounds like it was like, again, I'm going to refer to the Zodiac when we just really danced on that subject. And we're like, you you're you're picking up everything that this whole story was putting down, and they're like, "Nah, it's not him, though." Yeah, I go, "Dang, really, dang. really?" I mean, if you're looking at thousands and you know, thousands of people coming, hundreds and maybe even thousands of people coming forward, like that's that's one of the places I would take my time. Yeah, wild man. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like uh, maybe that's another reason why this is still unsolved is because so many stories came through so many people claiming to be jack the ripper so many people to, claiming to know yeah. and when most of them probably didn't know or most of them were inadvertently in, uninformed or misinformed and that just obfuscates the truth you know and then you know the guy scoots away with it for all we know but yeah that's been jack the ripper thank you all for listening if you want to do the whole review thing, that's possible on Apple's uh, podcast or whatever. If you want to subscribe to us, if you're new to us, uh, Spotify, there's a button, click it, boom. Uh, otherwise, hey, Fredo, I'll see you next Monday for another mystery, my friend. Yeah, you will. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.